This program is paid for by itswhereiam.com. The content of this program does not reflect the values or opinions of 91.5 KUNV or the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Good morning, Las Vegas. It's Zandra Pollard with It's Where I Am. Today, my guests are dialect coach Samara Bay and otolaryngologist Dr. Michael Johns. Today, we'll be talking about the perception of how you speak. So if you didn't know, um, if you look back at some of my previous shows, you'll notice that my voice changes. Sometimes it's a little breathy like this. And sometimes it's a little softer like this. And oftentimes, as of lately, it's strong and powerful like this. So it's been a long road. My voice has gone through many changes. I had a goiter growing on my thyroid, which made me have to have it removed. So that happening caused my vocal cords to kind of collapse or paralyze. So I've been getting a little help from Dr. Johns with uh, some treatments that have helped me to breathe better. But with breathing better comes speaking softer because I am getting a little Botox. And unfortunately, it's not the kind. It's not the cosmetic kind. uh, It's the medical uh, kind. So I am getting Botox in my vocal cords to strengthen those muscles so that I can breathe much better. There you go. So, Dr. Johns, welcome. Thank you for being here. Santa, thank you so much for having me. It is a joy to see you and doing so well. So, how long have you been practicing and can you explain the difference between an ENT and what you do, an otolaryngologist? Okay, yeah. Thank you. So, I've been, as the gray hairs show, I've been at this for a few years. And we we specialize. It's a very complex area. Some people specialize in hearing in the ear. Some people specialize in the nose and the sinus. And I specialize in the T of ENT, the throat, called laryngology voice disorders. Okay. And so that's the only thing that makes me a little different from uh, the general ENT is I just do the T. Well, thank you for the explanation. So I was um, when I was going through my journey. when at right after the surgery and I couldn't speak for I think it was oh maybe a couple of months and then I had a really soft voice like so soft no one can hear me so like if you left the room I couldn't get anyone unless I knocked on a door a wall or something so when I got back out into the workforce and out into society um, my voice was so soft that oftentimes people did not hear me which was very frustrating. Um, And it made me socially mute Um, just because it was just so difficult. You know, no one understood me. I couldn't go through a drive-through. I want to bring in Samara Bay, uh, who is a dialect coach, and she has written a book that's not out yet, but it will be next year called Permission to Speak. You were just talking about with Dr. Johns really is relevant because each of us, each of us has a sense, although often not a lot of language for it and not a lot of sense that that everyone else is having this feeling too. But see if this rings true for anybody listening. We each sort of have a sense that how we talk, how we show up in a space affects how people treat us. 
Yes. So, you know, there's obvious examples of a sort of um, quote unquote interview voice. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also examples from your own life, probably, of speaking differently to, say, a grandmother than you do to a kid, than you do to a lawyer who calls and says that he's suing you. You know, (laughs) there are different voices that live inside of us and they come out in different scenarios. And sometimes we get mistreated Mm -hmm. because how we naturally sound um, isn't what that listener has decided respectable sound should be so you know i'm i'm very quickly getting into sort of political territory here of what it feels like to walk through the world as a woman as a person of color as an immigrant with an english as a second language you know sound um but it ties in with what you are doing dr johns from what i can understand because of course when people come to you there's a problem and it is, of course, medical, but it also is affecting their life. Not just, I can't be heard without knocking, but as you say, I can't enter a public sphere and be taken seriously right. with a voice that isn't 100%. I had a similar related experience okay. in my 20s. Okay. I was in an acting program, a, a master's in acting, so a, a, you know, all day, every day, conservatory acting experience with lots of talking, lots of singing, and I lost my voice Repeatedly, It'd be lightly back in the mornings, gone by the evenings. I imagine the otolaryngologist in our midst could already diagnose what was going on there. Mm. Um, but I, I learned through going to an ear, nose, and throat doctor that I had vocal nodules, which okay. is like blisters on your vocal cords from right. talking at not quite, in my case, not quite my optimum pitch. So it turns out we all have an optimum pitch, a pitch that our vocal cords want to talk at Mm -hmm. and if we go a little higher a little low habitually for social reasons that we have picked up we can probably get by until we start talking a lot right this is such a rich discussion about voice and how our voice speaks so much about ourselves and also how impairing it is when you lose your voice right and voice problems are relatively uncommon. We all lose our voice from time to time. Um, but we don't realize how much we rely on our voices to communicate and convey what we, the message we need to convey to the world. Even in this digital space, we're spending so much time on our iPhones and whatnot. Until you've lost your voice, you don't really understand the importance of it. And, uh, and, and I think it's... It, 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 it's critical to, to hallmark that. I totally, thank you. Agreed. Guys, yes. I'm glad we're having this conversation because it's true. And, and I'll add to what you said because, yes, when we have an acute situation, which is what happened for both Zandra and me, right? And then mm-hmm. all of the patients that you see, of course, we are um, confronted with, you know, the massive uh, um, value that voice has in our life. But... We don't actually have to have something acute happen to start to think about how are the ways that I talk affecting how I get treated in the world. And sometimes if we're in, mm, I'll just throw out there, sort of a corporate work environment, um, we receive feedback from maybe even a kind boss or mentor who Mm -hmm. says something like, um, there's a billion examples, but one that comes to mind obviously is... Don't speak Ebonics. Don't speak Ebonics. <laughs> they won't say that out loud, but they'll say something like, uh, we would just like you to seem a little bit more uh, professional, right? which is obviously code. If you uh, keep doing upspeak or vocal fry, which are terms from linguistics for these sort of quote-unquote feminine markers, which is to say 
women aren't the only ones who do it, but they are the only ones who get sort of maligned for it. Uh, upspeak is when you your sentences sound like questions, oh. and uh, vocal fry is when you kind of um, go into your throat, and so you have a lot less pitch variation, and it sounds a little bit like bacon frying. Okay, uh, which happens which happens habitually for a lot of people, especially millennial and younger, uh, at the ends of sentences. So you might not start that way, but then by the end of the sentence, you're like, or whatever. <clears throat> By the way, nothing is wrong with any of these. The linguists will tell you we all pick up habits for a reason. I love that because it means that any of these things that this boss or mentor might be telling you, what they're saying is it's not translating in this space. Right. And then you get to decide, well, do I want to go through the work of translating into this space or not? And that is an interesting place to be in, but not one that anyone talks about and has language for, which is part of why. Well, um, in the African-American I, um, culture, I do have to say we do, yeah. because often we code switch. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. But what I mean, and agreed, mm-hmm. very much so. And when I talk about women and people of color and immigrants, what I'm really saying is that actually those groups of people do on some very deep level understand that something is going on with the relationship between our voice and how we get treated. But what we don't always have is the language around how fair or unfair that is, how widespread that is, how systemic that is, mm-hmm. and how um, there may be a path forward in actually thinking about, and this is for anybody listening, what what does power sound like? When you hear someone speak, what makes you think, oh, they're an authority figure? Oh, there's been so many good things that have, that have popped up here. You know, you know, one is that, you know, we can change our voice. We can change our voice with training. We can change our voice with how, with our mechanics, and whether it's style or whether it's efficiency. Um, and that not only plays into voice habilitation to uh, work on having your voice represent you the way you want it to be, but also in voice rehabilitation as well and the power of strengthening in voice therapy. Another um, item that was touched on is sort of the accumulation of little aches and pains that happen you know, over the years. We don't feel it. One thing about voice and voice disorders you don't, they don't come with pain. Yeah. Like, you know, if I had, you know, I've got, I don't have great posture. If I had listened to my mother, which is <laughs> I would have better posture. And I probably would have less of these aches and pains and things that um, you can get along with. And um, now these things can reach a tipping point where you need to address them. So, you know, common recommendation we have is if you have unexplained voice change that lasts longer than, than two weeks. That needs to be evaluated. You probably should have the instrument looked at, if you will. And it's actually pretty easy to have that done. That's what your nose and throat and the throat specialists in particular do. Um, but really, what, uh, what an amazing uh, interface of, of voice and voice change and how voice empowers us. Love this. You know, if you go to my website, it's where I am.com, I may or may not, I'm not promising, but I may or may not post the video of my larynx is it my larynx dr johns so he takes this is the voice box and the same thing it's right here we think of it as voice but it provides an airway okay it protects our airway and it provides voice as well voice box larynx so dr johns would you would you help us and this is this is somewhat selfish but i think it's useful for everybody i don't know uh Will you help us with understanding the relationship between breath and larynx? Um, one of the things that Zandra said earlier was that when she lost the ability to have, you know, her her 
heretofore regular voice come out that you were helping her with breathing and the connection there. I'd love to hear more about how yeah. you think about that. So, yeah, so voice is really complex. We think about the voice box. Okay, this is what generates sound, but really not. It's complex coordination of our breathing and our lungs, which is the power for our voice. That's the airstream that really delivers the sound. It's like a bellows in a fireplace. And then the larynx, it really serves as kind of like a, a, the reed on an instrument, on a saxophone. And the vocal cords, we have two of them, or folds as they're more accurately called, live inside the voice box. And they come together when we speak and when we swallow and they come apart when we breathe. So they have to come, they actively open, the valve opens and we can take a deep breath in and then they come together and as they come together lightly and that power from our lungs the airstream pushes through them they vibrate just like your lips might, might vibrate given a raspberry and um and that generates a buzzing quality and then all of the structures in our throat above the vocal cords they act like a horn kind of like a, on a trumpet or any other instrument, the horn, it shapes and filters the sound into you know, what we know as human, human voice. And it's incredibly delicate and resilient at the same time and beautiful and dynamic. And what happens if we're habitually under breathing? Then does it put more pressure on the muscles in our throat slash larynx? Yeah, we call that laryngeal focus and vocal fry or pulse mode phonation is like the penultimate manifestation of that with no flow, all laryngeal focus. Okay. And we're relying on little muscles to do a lot of work versus are the big muscles of our chest wall to drive our voice. And so voice can be very easy and we can have vocal endurance, but when we get into that laryngeal focus, with no airflow, then it's very fatiguing and exhausting. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, please. But my understanding is that when we're babies, we do it right. And then correct. when life happens, right. we start to hold. And sometimes, maybe frequently, we habitually pick up patterns like not taking the deepest possible breath that we can and then using these other muscles to compensate and that becomes what feels like us. It feels like our sound. Right. But really, of course, it's, it's you know, the result of a lot of life. You know, because oftentimes I'll say, because I notice I say so a lot. So when I look back on video, I'll say so, 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 or because. And when I use those two words, it's usually my way of taking a sneak breath. So that's my um, managing technique. Yeah, so, smart. Yeah. I mean, as is, by the way, silence, which is very scary when you're on air and it's, and also scary when you are the spotlight in the spotlight, right? right? So if we're pitching an idea and we want to actually collect our thoughts in the middle of our idea to decide which direction we're going to go in, it does feel better to go, uh, right? Because <laughs> yes, it means it I still have the floor. I know I'm collecting my thoughts. I right. know you know I'm collecting. Rather than, a, one might argue, a power move of actually keeping the energy alive, but being silent mm -hmm. for a moment. Right. It always seems a lot longer in your brain, right? <laughs> it does. Yes. 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 Um, yeah, this actually makes me think about one of the other aspects of what we're all talking about, which is like, there's some connection between psychology and body, right? We know this, it's obvious, but, but, but especially when it comes to breath, like, why are we not taking as good a breath as we could? I mean, I don't have the I answer, but it usually, I mean, 
in is my it experience, stress? It, right? Uh. It's stress, or it's not wanting to feel your emotions, right? We've figured out ways to kind of cut our ourselves off from the parts of our body where um, stuff feels less contained and manageable. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also, uh, certainly for women, a long history of what I call suck-in culture, right? Where if we suck in our, our middles, we'll look smaller. And then we habitually oh, do that. Oh, yeah. I'm and doing that right to, now. And then we forget <laughs> to, and, right? And then I read an um, amazing study about uh, how how prevalent um, uh, this woman referenced uh, a term she made up, uh, email apnea. So okay. not sleep apnea where you forget to breathe, but email apnea where you get an email, you take in a breath in anticipation and forget to release it. Oh, okay. But what <laughs> if we're all doing that? And the stakes aren't even high. Over an email. Over an email. So if we're doing it over an email, we're maybe also doing it over a difficult conversation. Sure. You know? Yeah. And then we go, oh, right. There's all that stuff. There's all that. um, What did you call it, uh, Dr. Johns? That's like the, the, the fuel for real speech yes right our power you our know, power so easy to forget with voice something that comes automatically we don't think mm-hmm. about it, it just sort of comes out right right we forget that it's a it's actually a physical task just like walking or running or any other athletics and the higher uh performance in voice you go the more athletic it becomes and it's all a physical task just because you can't see it doesn't mean that uh, that's not what it is. But it's also so wonderful because it conveys so many things about us and our emotions and our feelings and our and our soul that comes along with it. A lot of times people deal with anxiety and we know that breathing techniques are extremely helpful. So, Dr. Johns? One strategy that we apply commonly for people who are feeling either short of breath or need a moment to recharge and refresh their voice, or have chronic throat clearing, throat irritation, or chronic cough, a simple breathing strategy is this. And this is really just more for throat relaxation and comfort. Okay. So we commonly advise, just take a sip of a healthy beverage. Okay. (laughs) Such as water, juice. Okay. And breathe out on a... Like you're shushing a baby, not like you're shushing a teenager. Like a... It puts positive pressure back on your throat. Okay. Positive air pressure. It also makes the vocal cords separate a bit and stabilize. And so it's, a, it's, it's relaxing. It changes the feeling that your throat is having, that your brain's telling you to clear your throat or cough or it's irritated. And it's a very relaxed posture. Very similar to a lot of yogic breathing and other sort of breathing techniques. So that's my, that's my little nugget there. I would add, I love that. And here's my add to, to yours. So I love the psychological hack aspect of this. How do we, how do we clear out some mind gunk that's, perhaps built up around how we present in public or around our own sense of power. So doing exactly what you just described. And I love that, by the way, for those of you who aren't watching this, but listening, uh, Dr. Johns closed his eyes when he did it. And then I think both of us closed our eyes when we did it, too. There's something very meditative, as you say, about this slow, warm um, shush out. And then I would also add, if your eyes are closed, try this think about and especially if this is in the moments before you're about to do something scary because as you say this is where anxiety tends to hit us 
as you're taking that slow breath out, think about the people in your life who, maybe one person even, who really gets you, who really sees you, who really admires you. Maybe a moment even in time when someone you admire admired you back. Some moment when you really felt glowing with pride and felt really understood. And when you close your eyes, think about them looking at you with that warmth. And breathe that back in after you've done the breathing out. There's a lot of um, studies that say that when we prime ourselves for this sort of power, mm-hmm. it affects the next moment and the next, as does obviously the opposite, right? If those moments of anxiety, if we are the meanest to ourselves as we possibly can be, if the voice in our head says to us, get it together, what's wrong with you? Why can't you do this? Like that person over there who doesn't seem to be having any problems at all. Well, you can imagine what that primes you for. And if, the, if it's a binary and what we're talking about priming you for power or for a feeling of powerlessness, mm-hmm. of course, it's more complex than that. But like, sure. that's a pretty easy way to think about it. Mm-hmm. How loving of yourself to prime yourself for power. And power does not have to mean some, you know, sort of perverted version of power where it's power over somebody or some sort of historically masculine coded, uh, you know, violent power or or. Uh, grabbing of resources. Correct. Thanks for right? the clarification. You know, mm-hmm. power can, like, let's make sure when we're talking about power that we're also thinking about power in other words that are related, like leadership and strength. Um, we should think about those those concepts really, really honoring that when we think about, for example, power, it helps to think, what is my own archetype for power? Who do I love in the larger world or in my own life who has power? What's a version of power that I actually want, that I want to step into? Because that's what we're talking about here when we're, you know, quote unquote, priming ourselves for power. So with that being said, um, I'd like for you, Samara, to tell us more about some of the different types of works that you do. Uh, You are a dialect coach. You have the book, we talked about the book, and you also work in the industry. You work in the Hollywood industry, and you also work in politics. That's right, that's right. I got involved in the 2018 midterms. Uh, MoveOn.org was looking for people to work pro bono, to coach basically first time, exclusively in my case, female candidates for office. So this is, you know, when you think about it, um, not lifelong public servants, uh, but people who just recently, who just in this this um, political cycle, or in that political cycle, uh, decided, oh, n- no one's standing up for my community, I guess I have to. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they have a long history of what is it to scale yourself up? What is it to show up in public, like uh, the most relaxed, most powerful, most kind version of yourself rather what most of us tend to do and we don't have a lot of experience speaking in public is hide right so we show up but we don't show up Mm -hmm. and by that i mean technically speaking we will hide in our throat we'll stop breathing we'll end up sounding a bit monotone so like if you sound like this and you're saying um welcome everybody i'm so glad that you're here (laughs) it's really hard to also show i care because right. those ways of hiding are ways of saying, uh, don't worry, I'm cool, I'm good, I'm not, I'm not going to bother anyone with caring too much. I'm, gonna, You know, whatever. The, there's a bunch of different versions and of this. And yes, you won't get the vote. But you won't get the vote because you right. won't be trustworthy because we actually need to see you. We need vulnerability. Like, you know, 
this is what I've been thinking about lately because I do come from the the theater and from Hollywood and now I'm working not just in politics but with a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of uh, CEOs, a lot of C-suite level people who really are eyeing power in a new way and frustrated with their habits. Okay. And what I'm realizing is there's a really direct connection between the Hollywood stuff and, and these, you know, <clears throat> real people, which is... When we watch something, I just finally watched um, the second season of Bridgerton. When we watch something and we really fall in love with a character, mm-hmm. what they're doing is is really showing up when they show up. It's a character, right? It's an actor doing this. But those moments when they are revealing themselves as the, as this character, when they are being vulnerable and we fall in love with them, that is the exact same thing that happens in amazing moments, viral moments of pop culture speech giving. And we can think of moments like um, AOC when she was on the floor of Congress a few years back um, talking about a sexist comment from um, a, a fellow congressman, um, but actually talking about how much um, a lot of people around the country have to deal with those microaggressions. Mm-hmm. Or Oprah at the, what was it, 2018 Golden Globes, where she gave an impassioned speech and the next day everybody said that she should run for president. It's not unconnected. It's people who show up and say something true in a voice that sounds like their own and right. are willing to be vulnerable, just like those actors in Bridgerton. And that is not how public speaking is taught and it is not how this sort of um, sometimes it's called executive presence in more of a corporate context is taught we're often taught in those contexts to keep our voice low especially if we're a woman to keep it uh, pitch wise low because low codes for power Um, we're told to not have a huge amount of uh, variation up and down because then we'll sound I don't know girly Um, we're certainly told to have a predominant culture white voice Mm -hmm. we're certainly told you know a a number of things about pace a measured pace Uh, this results in the most boring generic version of you rather than somebody we're going to fall in love with and obviously you know in a work context we don't have to talk about love but we can talk about how we get somebody to care about what you care about which is really what it is when we're pitching an idea or when we're pitching ourselves for office care about this stuff with me let's care together you know if you are looking to um master your voice shall i say um you are able to again go to my website and you will find samara bay's uh, bio there and information on how to contact her but for those who are listening now can you please let our listeners know sure um if you are interested in sort of diving into this and thinking about your own relationship to your own voice which i sometimes call uh something we need to detox because there is some toxicity in our culture that has a little residue in our voice and in our relationship to our voice um i have a newsletter that i've been putting out once a week that i call a love letter to your voice okay uh this week's is actually about the relationship between body language and voice um it's just a, a lovely little spot to um, start to think about this stuff seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes we don't quite um, appreciate that our own private fears, I don't like my voice, I don't 
I don't like this thing that my voice does is actually the result of a history of tiny little comments we've gotten, tiny little messages we've received. And to know that it's collective, to know that this is actually systemic, that we can talk about this stuff in solidarity with each other rather than like, I personally have a personal failing. Clearly, I can't hack it. As you know, it makes all the difference. Yes. Wow. Okay. And so uh, thank you so much for sharing this information with us, Samara and Samara and coming all the way down from Los Angeles, California. I couldn't not be in a room with you. I appreciate (laughs) you being in studio. It's nice to have you in studio. And Dr. Johns, I'll be seeing you really soon. Uh, And then so be prepared, audience, uh, when I come back. There might be a little change in my voice. Let's see what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. I met, I got referred to you from Las Vegas because uh, there was not a specialist for me, at least not one of your caliber uh, here in Las Vegas. So, you know, I've met quite a few people, like I mentioned before, that have issues due to allergies is uh, one big, huge reason. Uh, accidents. Um but um, I have to travel all the way to Los Angeles just to see Dr. Johns, and he's phenomenal. And, um, and, and pe- people should know they need to listen to their voice. It might be telling them something. If it's changed, doesn't something's not right, get a check. It's easy to get a scope. Make sure nothing bad's happening. There's treatment out there. Take good care of your voice. So his information is on the website as well. It's where I am.com. And I uh, want to thank you both for being here. Alrighty, well, 91.5 Jazz and more. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next month, second Saturday of the month at 8.30 a.m. It's where I am. Bye.